This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Today we're going to jump back into Mark chapter 7 and as you're going to see this continuation take place and here's what I want to do. I haven't preached in a couple of weeks um, and, I, and so because of that as I approach this text um, I come at it with a, a lot of things on my mind, a lot of things on my mind. This sermon today for me uh, is going to be mixed in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, I usually love to just approach a text and kind of extract from it the things that um, I, I believe God is speaking through his text. And I want to do that today because I want you to hear God's word through it. But there's a mixture of things that are taking place in, in my life. One is um, all that I've studied through this text that we're going to read. So that's, that's one thing. Uh, another part of that is the things that are going on in the world around us. Um, this week is a massive week. I didn't know all the things that were happening because I try to, as much as possible, disconnect from social media and email and all that kind of stuff when I'm with my family. But at night I got on and saw all that took place in Charleston this, this week. And I have to tell you, I was hit hard. Uh, it was an emotional thing for me. I, I know that there's so much taking place, not only because of what took place there, but also the responses from people and churches and the good and the bad responses, but there's so much mixed into that. And because of that, I, I, I think that's going to affect the way I preach this, this text today. Um, the also, also what is going to come into this text is how I'm feeling about what I've studied and what I've seen in the world around us. But also the pastoral side of me comes into this. What I hope that you will gain from a text like this. What I hope that you will hear in the world that we're living in. And I, what I hope we as a church will do in the face of this. So there's so much mixed into this that this sermon may feel different today. And I, I kind of hope that it does. Uh, because there's so much mixed into it. While I was on vacation, uh, we, I took the kids to a movie called Inside Out. Now, this is not a promo for you to go see the movie. I could care less if you see it or not. Uh, it's a cartoon. Um, and it's a child's movie. And I left the movie after it was over. And I felt like, man, this was such a, a, a sophisticated child's movie. Because there was so much that was taking place in the movie about how this child only knew how to deal with one emotion at a time. And these, this child had these characters inside of her that were kind of controlling her emotions, but she only knew how to deal with anger or happiness or sadness or, uh, or worry. And all of these things were, were inside of her, kind of controlling the buttons of her life. But none of it was big. And there's this one character, Joy, who would just try to control the whole life of this woman because what, what this girl needed was just to be happy. 
by the end of the movie, what you end up seeing is that our emotions are far more complicated and the reality is we cannot just live our lives pursuing to be happy all the time. And that we think this is the only emotion that we can have. And whenever we feel some other kind of emotion, then something must be wrong. And because of that, by the end, what you start seeing is that when you grow up, you have to learn how to deal with a mixture of emotions. Not everything is happy, and that's okay. Now, I got done with that movie, and I had a good talk with my kids, and the younger ones kind of, you know, liked different characters. The older ones saw the sophistication in it. And I think it's interesting as we approach Scripture and as we come to church, it's an interesting thing that as you grow into maturity as a person, you need to learn how to deal with a mixture of emotion. The interesting thing for me, though, is as people of God, I think most often we try to stay immature in our spiritual lives. Here's what I mean by that. When we come before the Lord, what we really want is just to be happy and celebrate and smile, but we're really just painting on joy and we don't have this real authentic reality of what Christian joy is actually like. So when we approach hard things, we think something's wrong or something's off when it's not just happy and spectacular and good and amazing. But when other things mix into this sadness and and worry and fear, how do we navigate through faith with all of the brokenness that's around us? How do we really walk through this? Well, I'll tell you what a lot of Christians do. They paint on faces of happiness and act like Christianity is just eternal positivity. And eternal happiness. And what that ends up doing is pulls us away from the actual realities of the world. And we don't know how to engage with anything around us. Because most of the world is feeling some sort of sadness or anguish or pain or struggle. And the things that are going on. And they look at Christians and they go, I got to go in there and paint on a smile. And act like everything's going out and just call that faith. It doesn't make sense. When we see things like this around us and our only response is, well, just be positive. We've got to come up with better answers than that. We have to. And I think when you really start to grow in your faith, you start to see that there's more emotions and more to the spiritual life than just eternal positivity that the gospel goes into the broken areas of this world and it goes into the broken areas of our lives that the gospel is for the broken that the gospel is for those who are in need and for those who are in desperate places for those who are who are facing extremely difficult questions. 
So as we approach a text like this, if there is a mixture of things, and I've heard this often, like even with the way we do music at this church, a lot of people are so used to just coming in and just clapping and smiling during worship, they don't know how to actually feel raw emotion inside of it. And the music kind of evokes something else, and Kyle does that on purpose. Or when you leave a service, often we go, man, that was challenging. And we feel challenged by the word of God. And often we don't know how to be challenged because we come to a service and we really just want to be encouraged. I'm not saying encouragement is bad. But from what I heard, Wes did none of it last week, you know. (laughs) If we just had one pastor who could encourage people, that would be great. Encouragement is necessary and needed and a gift from the Spirit. But I'm going to tell you, there are times we need to be disciplined and rebuked. There are times for all of these things. And right now, as I'm approaching this text, it will be, and I'm just going to admit up front, it will be a little bit skewed in my preaching. Because I'm approaching it with all that's going on in my life. I'm approaching it with all that's taking place in this world around us. And I'm approaching this, and I'm going to focus in on one thing here that I do believe the text says. But there's so many other things, but we just have to focus on this one thing today. So let's stand together as we read Mark chapter 7, verse 24 through 8-10. Mark 7, 24 through 8, 10. And we're going to read all of that, but there's going to be really just the first section that I'm going to focus on. And from there he arose and went away from the region of Tyre to, to sit on. And he entered a house and did not want to, anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him and said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in bed and the demon gone. And he returned from the region of Tyre and went into Sidon in the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him and take him aside from the crowd privately. And he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to the Ipathi, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged him to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. And he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called the disciples to him and said to them, I have have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on their way. And some of them have come from afar away. And his disciples answered him, how can we feed these people the bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, 
how many loaves do we have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took seven loaves, having given thanks. He broke them and gave them to the disciples, set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said... Um, he said that these also be set before them, and they ate and were satisfied, and they took up broken pieces left over seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Delmutha. Father, I pray that we would take these words and let them sink into our heart by your Spirit. These are your words. Let us remember that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. From the beginning of Mark, what we have been looking at is this Jesus who announces himself as king. King. He announces himself as king and he spends so much of his time in this book just showing us what his kingdom looks like. From the very beginning of Mark, what we're seeing in this is this announcement of the king and his kingdom. And all the way through it, what we're seeing is that the kingdom of God, there is no sickness, there is no evil. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is different than the kings of this world. This king is so much different because he doesn't pursue popularity. He's not chasing the approval of people, but he is, he is just living his life for his father under his rule and reign. And, and you see this continual announcement of the kingdom in the kingdoms of this world they kind of popularize strong warriors but King Jesus is sympathetic and he's a friend to sinners the kingdom of this world they like to build crowds but in this kingdom we see that this kingdom is a family in the kingdom of the world they want good talkers but in the kingdom of God he shows us that hearing is how the kingdom of God comes. Not through talking or articulation, but through hearing. In the kingdoms of this world, it's built on merit. On people earning good graces with the king. But in the kingdom of God, it's built on the king giving favor and grace. Not on the merit of others. See, the kingdom of God is opposite of the kingdom of this world. When Jesus comes in, what we've seen over and over and over again is that his kingdom confronts the kingdoms of this world. Last week, Pastor West talked about how this kingdom that we are in is an inside-out kingdom. It's not an outside-in kingdom. It's not about all the behaviors and rituals that you follow. It's about what God has done in the heart. It's about his transformation from the inside out. And this is important because in the, Mos the Mosaic law required worshipers to be ritually clean. Physically healthy, to have no contact with dead animals or people, to abstain from a list of prohibited foods and so on. And the purpose of these rules were to act as a visual aid to show us that we need to be holy before God. Disease, decay, and dirt symbolized sin. But religious leaders saw the ritual purities, not just as symbolizing holiness, but as constituting holiness. 
So as a result, they added even more rules and regulations and traditions of elders, and, and they became biblical laws. And they, they believed that you could make yourself acceptable before God by staying away from unclean people, places, and practices. What Jesus shows last week as he is confronting this, he shows that they've completely missed the point. Sin is not first external. Sin is first of all internal, and it's a matter of the heart, and sin can only be dealt with not by the washing of the external things, but by a work in the heart. That's how it's going to be dealt with. He turns this whole thing upside down. And I'm going to tell you, if you thought what Wes did last week was confrontive, then you can imagine how confrontive this was when Jesus actually preached it. Because after he gets done, he leaves there and wants to go hide with the Gentiles. He wants to get away. He wants to find a place where nobody knows him. And he leaves that. And you see that when I read it in the first text, that he's going to a place he wants to find. He wants to get away. He doesn't want to be known. He doesn't want to be alone. He's, he's, he's making waves. Now, he's not just getting away because he's making a huge detour. And if you know anything about God, he doesn't just do things by accident. And what he does is he goes on this huge detour for the first time, he goes into Gentile lands. He goes to places. Now, this is interesting because right after he just talks about that practices are not what make you clean and that unclean practices are not what make you unclean, it's the heart. He shows them not only these unclean practices, he shows them that he's going to go around unclean people and unclean places. He's crossing more boundaries. Now he's going to places that he should not go, and he's hanging out with people he should not hang out with. What do we see? He goes to unclean places. Tyre was a city outside of the geography of Israel, and Jesus' trip to Tyre was the only recorded occasion in which he left Israel. His visit to Tyre was entering unclean Gentile turf. This is not just by accident, believe me. He's showing not only what he said in there, now he's going and crossing more boundaries, and he's showing what his kingdom is like. He's going into unclean Gentile turf. And Jesus makes some of these tours, but this is, he always returns back to Israel, and you're going to see that when he goes around Gentile places, what he's doing is once again pushing against the system, the religious system of this world that says, listen, in order for you to be righteous before God, you need to do the right thing, hang out with the right people, and be in the right places. Okay? So he's making this detour. He's going out of his normal sphere, and he's going into these Gentile places. Jesus is making a 
massive statement here. He's going in all of these stories to Gentile places. And I, I think this is important for us as we start to understand the things that are taking place in our world around us. So I hope you can start to see why I am, uh, I'm going this direction because there's, uh, there, this is not just coincidence, right? You see, every person in the world, every person in the world wants to believe that there's something special about them. That there's something special about them. And the problem with their deep desire to have something special about them is that what that really means is we have to make ourselves better than other people. Okay? We have to. In order to be special, we have to be better than someone else. We have to, in, in our own hearts and minds. We see this happening in the world around us. Why? Because we want to elevate ourselves based off things like our education or our money or our status or our class or we work hard or we're stronger or we're taller, which is an interesting one. Why would we make big deal about how tall we are, like you had a choice in making yourself taller or, 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 or even how much money or education or class, all of these things we like to elevate ourselves in with that but we like to stay away from the realities of people elevating themselves over people with different ethnicities and different colors of skin well this is exactly what was happening because in this time, now the Jewish people were not just saying that you could that it was just behaviors that made you clean. They were saying, because I am Jewish, not just I'm Jewish by grace and God sovereignly has made me this way and chosen me and made me this way, but he's saying, because we are Jewish, it makes us better than all other peoples. And in order to stay holy, you cannot be around Gentiles. You can't be around them. So they had made their salvation not by grace, but they had made it something that was different. They had made it because of their race that they were saved. And when Jesus comes in, he immediately starts confronting their kingdoms and their thoughts because they thought it was something that made them special and unique and different than other people and better than other people was who they were born as. They were born as this special people and so they would not go around unclean people or they wouldn't go into unclean places because they had to stay holy. But Jesus not only pushes against their idea of making themselves good by their practices, but he pushes against it in the very next story by going around unclean people in unclean places. Huh. More controversy. Mark, in all of these stories, is careful to describe the ethnicity and background and language of every type of people that are being described. You think that's just on accident? No, believe me, church, he is trying to show us. See, he carefully describes the woman. 
her language and her race. He carefully points out her language and her race to distinguish that he is ministering to somebody. Now, here's the interesting part. If you were reading along with me and if you now start to feel the tension, he only not only describes her, 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 her race and her background and ethnicity, she comes and asks him to do something. Her daughter is possessed by a demon. He's saying, would you please cast this demon out of my daughter? And Jesus says something very interesting. Did you, did you catch it? He says to her something that we may not want to address. He said, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Did Jesus just say a racist statement? (laughs) Is Jesus a racist? Is this what this text is saying, that he's looking at a Gentile woman and saying, no, I can't do this for you because I'm going to, it's like throwing it to the dogs. There's a lot of things that are happening in this text that we cannot miss, and we got to spend time with it. So look at it real quick. First, what Jesus has shown all the way through is that his primary interaction with the world was not to be this kind of medical missionary that just goes around and does healings and miracles. That wasn't his primary reason why he came into the world. The reason why Jesus came into the world, listen, was to inaugurate his kingdom. That his kingdom was coming. I love what a lot of commentators say, and I I think this is true, and I I hope it's true, and there's a lot of, even if it's not, there's a lot of good stuff here, but I, I like the tone of this. A lot of commentators comment that the tone of this is Jesus is bantering and joking with this woman. He's being sarcastic, and and a lot of commentators say that he's making this comment so that his disciples can hear, because they're there. You see, not only did the Jews not like the Gentiles, the Gentiles did not like the Jews. So the Jews would call the Gentiles dogs, and then the Gentiles would not just kind of sit back and take it, they would respond with their own comments also. So there was a lot of tension that was being brought in the midst of this. And what he's wanting him to see is that he's not only going into these places to retreat, he's going to show that the extent of his redemption is going to carry beyond and there's this new Israel that's coming. This woman would also um, understand something that all... Jews would understand, and that is that Jesus is the Redeemer not only to Israel, but to the whole world. But the way that he has chosen to redeem the world is that he would come and redeem his people, and that through his people, the whole world would be redeemed. You have to see that because this is a very missionary statement. What he's saying is that his primary focus was to come and inaugurate his kingdom, to announce his kingdom, and to redeem his people because that his people, when they are redeemed, are come to bring redemption to the world around them. And that his apostles would take this message, who were there, who would see this, and that they would be sent into the whole world to bring this message. What he's saying to her is 
that I am the Messiah, I am the King, and I've come to make my people right. I've come to redeem my people so that this gospel could be extended. Here's the interesting thing about the the Jewish people is that they were always a chosen people not just because they were special by their race but they were chosen to carry forth the light and the salt and the and the and the kingdom of God to the world around them and they were to know that when the Messiah would come they would be redeemed but it would not just be for them it would be for all peoples and so the ignited the exciting announcement that he's making here is that he's come to to redeem his children so that even those on the outsides, even those who were not allowed in, even the dogs would be able to come and become a part of the family, if you will. This is an announcement of the extent of his kingdom. She wasn't offended by it. That's an interesting thing. She wasn't offended by the statement. Matter of fact, her response was incredibly humble. I think this is important because she could have said, well, this isn't fair. Why would you just give it to your people? And I'm, I want what your people are getting. No, she was willing to just completely fall on the need of his grace. She said, look, even the dogs get pieces of this bread. And it was because of that statement that God's spirit healed and did a work a daughter you see what we see in this is Jesus crossing barriers and what we see in this is this woman responding humbly and wanting grace this woman is the the opposite of the Pharisees he just dealt with who were self-righteous and wanted what they thought that they deserved. And this woman was humble and saying, I know I do not deserve it, but I need your grace. He's using this woman as a proclamation of the kind of people that he works in and he's opposing them and her against the self-righteous Pharisees. He's using her as an example of the kind of humility we need to have. Now, with all of that said, I, I, I think that what we have to look at when we start to approach things like this, and I know I went a little long today, but I haven't preached in a couple weeks, so I'm a little rusty, is this. In a world around us right now that, that is feeling the effects of extreme racism. And I, I, the part that drives me crazy over and over again is when people just can't acknowledge that racism still exists. Like refuse to. I mean, a guy can walk in and say that he's killing them because they're black, and then they go, well, he's just crazy. I mean, they refuse to believe that racism does still exist. And the reason why we say racism doesn't exist, and hear me, many of us have probably said this, is because we don't look at the problems in the world and say, those are ours. What we do is go, well, I'm not racist, so I don't need to be involved with it. I don't have this problem, so I don't need to be involved with this. 
Like personal justification is the extent of your salvation. As long as your behaviors are right and as long as you're doing all the right things, self-righteously, you're right before God. But who cares about the brokenness in the world around us? We find ourselves right back in the place when we focus right on our personal justification as the extent of the kingdom of God. What we end up doing is putting ourselves in this story as the people who were pharisaical and self-righteous. Rather than this Jesus whose kingdom extends far greater and what he wanted his disciples to see is that the outsiders are going to be brought in. That the people he's going to redeem are going to bring in the outsiders. And this this kingdom is going to be beautifully mixed with different races and tribes and tongues. And what he's showing us is this beautiful picture of what the kingdom of God will look like. When we see texts like this, church, what we need to do is not just ask ourselves personally... Am I a racist? Now that could be a part of our repentance, but that's not the question we need to ask. What we need to ask in this is because of the work that God has done in us and we've been brought into this kingdom of God, we were the dogs who were on the outside, who needed some bread. But he's made those dogs, not just kept them as dogs, he's he's brought them in as children. He's made them his children. A part of this family who are eating from the same table that he's, he's brought this new community in together. We've been brought in. We've been brought in by grace. He reached out. He brought us in. He opened up the table. And we've received this, this grace. So how should we respond when we see these tragedies and things around us? We shouldn't just be asking, am I the problem? We should be asking, how am I displaying the kingdom of God? Is this church a display of the beautiful diversity of the kingdom of God? One of my favorite things about this church is I can say yes. But there's so much more, church that we can do to even engage in these things. We've got to pray together on how we can continue to to cross barriers. The kingdom of God crosses barriers, church. We've got to pray about how we can engage with people's lives who, who are different than us. We've got to refuse this, this idea that something makes me better than somebody else. Yes, God has made us unique and there's special things about us, but those things that he's done in us are meant to display him and to reach others and to engage in the world around us. How are we crossing barriers? That's When I read this text, it kept hitting on my heart and I posted on Facebook. I, I, I just thought this, man, God, what do you want me to do? And I don't even have an answer for that except, Lord, show me. I want to I not just go, what is wrong with me? I want to say, what do you want to do through me to engage with the world? What, how can I cross some barriers? There's so much fear. There's so much anxiety in the world. There's so many brothers who are around us, and nobody knows how the answer to this problem. And I'm going to tell you this. 
in this racist problem, they can't even look to the church to figure out the answer. That's the big thing. They don't even see it in the church. And my prayer is that we would be a community who cannot just pray, Lord, uh, is it me? But can pray, Lord, how can we continue to be a display of your kingdom to the world around us? How can we continue to cross barriers? How can we continue to reach those who are on the outside? Let's pray. Lord, I, I feel a mess talking about this. I don't even know if what I said makes sense, except I want you to do something. I feel just as confused and broken about all that's happening in our country when I see the effects that it's having on African-American community, my brothers and sisters, that's not just the color of skin. I've got people in this church who are family to me. I, I want to weep with them. I, I don't even know how to help. I, I, I want to weep when I hear statements and see the effect that it's had on the Latino community when I see the statements that Donald Trump made this week how it affects them. No matter what he was saying was one way or another, it's affected brothers and sisters in my life. And I look at them and I see and all I see around us is people feeling alienated and separated and far off. And they're wanting equality. They're wanting equality so bad. And Lord, I pray that as a church, we would show them that they don't They don't need just equality. This woman wasn't fighting to be like the Israelites. This woman wanted your grace. She wanted bread from the table. She didn't want to just be like the Israelites. She wanted wanted your grace. She wanted to be at the table. Lord, I praise the people of God. What we would be crying out for is your grace. We need your grace, God. We need your grace. And Lord, as we come to this table, church, we're going to take a few minutes and open up the communion table. As we come to this table, remember that this bread that you're eating, it's not deserved. That this is the crumbs that, this is the crumbs that you're saying, I, I just want a piece. I, I want to be at the table. I want to be brought into the kingdom. It's because of his body that was broken for you that you get to be child. Not just a dog. You get to be a child. You get to be brought in. His blood covers and washes and cleanses. As we come to this table and pray, we we need to take time to just remember what we really need. We need grace. What else I want us to do is we're taking, I want us to pray. Ask God how we can engage with these. I've got more questions than answers, but I know this, that He has something for us to do. And it's not just soul searching, it's, it's how can we, how can we display and live this forth in the world around us.
So church, can we come to the tables? Can we pray? Can we sing? We're going to have to dismiss in just a couple minutes. But I, I want us to just spend time just asking Him how we can engage. And some of us are just as confused as I am. But I know where we can go. We can pray. We can ask God how we can cross these barriers. How we can do it humbly. So church, the table is open. They're going to sing. We're going to pray. Dave's going to come up in just a few minutes. So let's move quickly as we pray. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.